Hello, everyone. I'm Phil Svitek, and I'm joined alongside today by Zara Lisbon, who is a fellow author that I had the pleasure of meeting. And, you know, we just had a great chat when, when we got to know each other um, for the brief period of time. And we said, you know what, why not do a conversation for everybody to talk writing? And so let's start with the basics and kind of orient people. So you've written three books at this point, correct? Yeah, I've written two novels and one book of poetry. Awesome. And so uh, what was the order? Um, so I, I started out ghostwriting. And while I was ghostwriting, I also I was simultaneously you know trying to get my first book out there. So um, the first one was called Fake Plastic Girl. And then the publisher, Holt McMillan, felt like it was definitely um, uh, not quite a series, but um, what's the word for two books? I don't, it needed a sequel is what they felt. So um, I followed that up with Fake Plastic World. And then I've always wanted to write poetry. I have a bunch of like poems that I've collected since I was 16. And during the early stages of quarantine, I felt like, you know, why not get back into writing poetry? I tried that a little. It took me months before I could get back into the swing of things. And then eventually I realized I had I had a bit of a collection when I compiled everything starting from 2006 to now. Um, so that was third. That's the most recent thing I've published. Awesome. And in terms of writing, so it's like this weird thing, like for me, uh, a book, like a novel, obviously is intimidating in the sheer sense that you have the, the the volume of words that you have to fill. But then at the same time, poetry, because you want every word to hit, has to be carefully selected. Whereas perhaps in a novel, not that you would want to, but it's like, eh, whatever, maybe this sentence isn't the greatest, but it'll pass because it's whatever. So I, I'm just curious from that perspective, um, in terms of how do you approach it? You know, does one intimidate you more than the other? Because it's still I, writing that's different. I think I go through phases where one will intimidate me more than um, others. I think I mentioned briefly when I was when I met you in person how so I'd been I got into the groove of writing poetry and it stopped being intimidating, even though it had been intimidating for years and years. And then after just a few months of writing poetry, I was like, how did I ever write a novel? It seems like the most daunting how did I even start? How is that even humanly possible? And I had done it before, but I like couldn't wrap my mind around uh, how to get over the intimidation. So right now I'm feeling way more intimidated by novel writing. Um, although I just took a poetry workshop also, and I was completely blown away by the other people's poetry. And I, I was, I, it got me rethinking everything. I thought I had like made so much progress. And I was like, Oh my God, to be a good poet, you have to be so much braver than I actually am. So that's pretty intimidating. Whereas writing novels, um, it, it, you can, like you just said, you can tell the story without every sentence being a masterpiece. And what, what often matters most is that you do a good job of telling the story versus um, making every line a work of art. In, in fact, if you do that, it can really get in the way of the storytelling. Yeah. I want to go back to, you said the word brave. What does that mean for poetry? Um, I think 
you got to be experimental um, to the point where you risk not making sense um, or risk making sense only to certain people. There's a tendency, I think, in writing, you want to reach a lot of people. But first of all, in poetry, that's out the window because most people don't appreciate poetry. Um, just most people who you will talk to uh, are not sitting around reading poetry or buying poetry, um, especially new poetry. Maybe they know the classics. But so I have a tendency, I think a lot of poets have a tendency to want to reach people with what they are going to be writing. But I think you have to be willing to um, get very abstract. That's the first thing I mean by brave is very abstract. Um, my poetry teacher, who I just took this workshop with, his name is Matthias Svelina, and he wrote a book, um, a full book. This is how he caught my attention and why I wanted to take his workshop a full book on um, absurdist creation myths. So like, instead of like the world was, was created in seven days, it's like every single poem, like 50 poems, a hundred poems that are different versions of how the world got created. Each one more abstract, absurd, absolutely out of control um, than the next one. Um, and obviously just come from a very uh, subconscious, uh, atypical part of his brain that he accesses and um, not worrying about what other people think about it. He's just right. It's just fun for him. It's joyful for him. I think you have to be brave to do that in order to not worry what people think. And then yeah. secondly, what I mean is just you have to be brave enough to explore scary parts of your own life, um, not shy away from those. Yeah. Are you of the belief that the work always like reflects, I don't know, for lack of a better term, longing of the artist or, you know, are you in that camp of like, no, it's just it's just writing. It doesn't ref you know, necessarily reflect me as a person. Um, hmm. I think it's, well, it's definitely possible for the writing to not reflect your uh, surface, the surface of your life, the, um, the aesthetics of what goes on in your life. But I do think no matter what you're writing, it is reflecting something in your psyche, even if you're not aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm of more of that camp too. Like, I mean, at least for me, I can't write anything that I don't gravitate towards, and that that I don't, you know, have some sort of connection towards, even right. if it seems as abstract as as one can be. Uh, I just, yeah, for me, it's like, well, of course, my voice is in there. I'm, I'm the one writing it. <laughs> right. It's it's all you. This is going to sound crazy, but um, this, uh, I guess, two years ago now, time is flying. Um, but Taylor Swift put out her first album that she said was purely fictional. It was not based on her life. And uh, people really fell for that. 
Um, and as a fan, like I was listening and I was like, maybe it's, it's fictional, but you'd be, you'd be blind to not notice and understand that it is coming from within her. She was kind of saying like, this has nothing to do with my life. And yeah. sure. It's fictional stories. I write fiction all the time. I understand that it's not my real life. Maybe it's not real, her real life, but it seems naive to think that, that, the writer, the author is not going to leak into the songs or the stories. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, just because I, I wrote one sort of based off my life growing up, but really it's like all those things, you know, like people always say, oh, like this would make such an interesting book or whatever. And it's like, eh, not really. You have to really dramatize it. And so even when yeah. I was trying to like really put my life out there, really it ended up being like 15% of the actual story. Yeah. 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 And um, that's why it, it, you can, you can fictionalize it as much as you want and say based on true events and it doesn't have to be what really happened. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, it, it, uh, it needs that dramatic stake. Otherwise you're just telling a story of, and then this happened and this happened as opposed to wait, what's, what's the real meaning behind here? Right. Right. So um, an interesting thing, uh, when we were talking, uh, you, you mentioned that you went back to school to, you know, was it your MFA? Yes. Um, um, yeah. MFA and in so, creative writing. So I want to talk about that decision because the way, at least as I recall, that you positioned it was uh, people said kind of that that's not the wisest of choices. So A, is that true? And then B, like in spite of that, you know, you, you did it and you made that choice. Yeah. I remember, I mean, my whole life, people have not my parents, my parents were very supportive. Um, but everyone else, it seemed like at every turn, someone was saying, really, you want to be a writer? And you, you know, the percentage of, of writers that get published is just so low. It's almost impossible. And I remember specifically going on a date with a guy who was like, it's never going to happen. You, you shouldn't do that. You know, like people don't get published. And whenever someone would say that, I would just think, fine. What I thought was fine. I always said to myself, I'm going to be a writer. I'm either going to be a published writer or I'm going to be an unpublished writer. But those are my two options. And so I just kept, I was an English major in, in college, which Sometimes every now and then I look back and I remember these these signs around my college that said economics, the smart major. And sometimes I think, yikes, yeah, I, that would have been the smart <laughs> major, even though it's not me at all. Um, but I had a poetry professor in college who really encouraged me to go to grad school for creative writing um, because whether it advances your career or not, it it can and does often make you a much better writer, a much more skilled writer. And that's what I wanted to be um, a more skilled writer. I was definitely ignoring anyone who said, don't do it. And focusing not on the student loans I would have to take out and not focusing on what would come after it. I was focusing on wanting to be a better writer. And I I know for a fact it made me a better writer. It was an incredible experience, worked with incredible people. 
Um, but then also, you know, everyone gets their career started in a different way. But I do think it was having an MFA that made me appealing to my agent to choose to represent me. So it it did kind of work out. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, my belief is that people just project their own fears onto others. And um, and also, too, like the to me, the idea of a safe career, it just doesn't exist, really. I mean, if we look at the pandemic, like that to me was the big takeaway of like yes. all these safe jobs, like were slashed, like it was nobody's business. And it's like, so what's the point, you know, just seriously, like I my mom used to always say, like, life is a wheel of fortune. Like, you never know when you're going to, you know, hit luck or bad luck. And I remember thinking, that's not true. You can you can just be rich and have have financial stability. But the, the pandemic completely showed us that you could lose your house. The market could crash. Any, you could be laid off from your perfectly reliable job. You know, there yeah. really is no such thing as that that elusive stability. So you might as well be doing something you love to do. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's uh, I kept thinking about in Jurassic Park, uh, Laura Dern's character says, uh, you know, like the, the illusion of control. I forget the exact quote, but like um, control is the illusion, essentially, I think is what it is. Mm, right. Like yeah. this idea that like we had a day to day life or whatever. And that like all of a sudden this thing comes along and uproots us is like, yeah, the control was always the illusion that that we yeah. just live a normal life without any consequence or randomness or whatever. Like we're not guaranteed anything. So yeah. we're really not. We're not guaranteed. Um, and I like that, that the control is the illusion, because I think a lot of our suffering in life comes from really, really wanting that control and frustration that we're not getting it. Yeah. And, you know, to me, it's just just embrace the uh, the absurdity of it all and, and you can get, make through it, which now in talking about that, this might seem counterintuitive, but I want to ask you about your writing routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, do you have one? If so, what is it? Um, how do you approach it? Um, it? It actually isn't counterintuitive because I've I've gotten to the point where uh, I, in order to write, I do have to embrace having no control over it and have to embrace the chaos of it. Um, because if I plan it, it it doesn't feel good um, to to have a, a daily routine. What I do in the way of a routine though, is set a time limit or a page limit. I kind of go back and forth. Normally it's a time limit where, um, I just have to write that amount every day. And if something's going crazy, um, in my day, or I just have a weirdly busy day, it's fine. If I write for 25 minutes, um, and when I'm, when I'm really feeling like I can't write, I don't, I don't like the term writer's block. Um, cause I feel like it's more when you can't write, it's an issue of fear more than just like this abstract blocking thing. Um, you're holding yourself back, I think is what it is when you have writer's block. But, um, if that 25 minutes or six hours, whatever I've set aside has to be, uh, me staring at the page, doing absolutely nothing. That's fine too. I just can't, I'm not allowed to do anything else. And what happens most often 
I'm like very afraid to start writing is my secret. Um, I'm never excited to start writing. I'm always afraid to start writing. And my, my biggest uh, tool in my toolbox is telling myself, lying to myself that I'm just going to write one sentence. That's not scary. You're just going to write one sentence. And um, so whatever time of day it is that I decide to write, um, or wherever in my house that changes from the bed to the couch, to the desk, to the kitchen table, um, I'll write one sentence and it always 110% of the time leads to much more writing than one sentence, because that was just a trick. That was a lie. I told myself, and then normally an hour, two hours goes by and I, I have written for the day. So Long story short, my only routine is is to make sure that I write. What what do you what do you, what's easier for you? Like for me, I'm always better at the big picture stuff. I'm like, ooh, okay, this um, X, Y, and Z can lead into this, and this is where the character has their epiphany because he realized X, Y, and Z. But then to like actually figure out like the details of all of that, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I have to. I guess if I were to think about it, I would have to say that I'm the opposite of, of you in that way. I, I much prefer to figure out the details and the, the psychology of the characters and the, the essence of the location. But when I went to grad school, that's actually something, one of the reasons I'm so glad I went is learning how to really create a big picture plot where um, you can have something in the beginning connect to something in the end in a way that is like, I always wanted to be able to do that. And I feel like I learned that in grad school. And then the more I've practiced it, it's not what comes most easy to me, but it is something that now I can do. Whereas before I feel like I was thinking about how much I loved writing in high school and how in retrospect, I was really just writing like long pages of like character description, like which is not quite writing necessarily, but I wasn't writing a story of just like, here's this character and let me tell you every single thing about them. Um, so grad school took made me an actual storyteller, I suppose. Yeah, it is the fine balance between the two. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I always like, like for me, I'm the, the type of writing I do is more for for visual stuff. Right. So right. actors generally will, will like ask me like, so what, what's my backstory here? And I'm like, well, it says so in the script, you grew up in Boca Raton. What else do you need? Like, it's, it's about like, the moment. Yeah, like, like, what are you doing right now? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, and I always find it funny. And then it, it, it's always great in that, like for me, part of my process is sort of that feedback loop because like when people start asking me questions, then it's like, okay, here's essentially the blind spots that I'm not seeing. Okay, cool. I can go and fill those in as opposed, because for me, it's just like, okay, it's either unimportant or it's just, it is what it is, you know, like it's right. a car. Who cares what kind of car it is? It's just the damn car. <laughs> I know it gets you from point A to point B. And that's, I read this whole book called the bestseller code about like they, they analyzed all the books that sell the best. Um, and what they, one of the many things they all had in common was that element of like the car should get the person from point A to point B. That's what sells well, not like it had leather interior and a tan 
finish over the blah, 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 blah. Maybe like one sentence like that so that they can understand what they're looking at. But that's mostly not what people want to read. People mostly want to read the like the utility of of what gets the story moving forward. Well, I think, I mean, the, the best writing, right, is the one that drops in those sort of hints that yes. do reveal the character of, you know, like, because obviously there's a difference between like, you know, let's say this girl, uh, she has her Chanel bag and this nice little red dress, but she gets in a beat up uh, 1980s Volkswagen, right? It's like, okay. It tells a story. Exactly, right? As a, So I think, you know, I'm not trying to dismiss it. I'm just uh, merely pointing my faults. No, and also, I mean, that's the thing about the bestseller code. It, it it points out all these things that bestsellers do, but our bestseller is always the best best written. No, absolutely not. Um, and uh, to what you just said, there was this um, lecture I took in grad school that always sticks with me, called Mister Potato Head versus Holden Caulfield, and the the professor was talking about. I mean, I won't go into the whole thing, but basically like what you said with Mr. Potato Head, if you're just like sticking people just like stick these characteristics on the person, on the character, like, you know, he had big eyes, she had a big mouth, whatever. But if it's not going into the story, if it's not telling, adding, building the story, then it's just superficial. So that's what we want to do is get rid of the superficial descriptions and use the, the descriptions that are integral to the plot. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, so we, so it's, it's either point or counterpoint, right? Like that's the big thing. Um, it's either moving things along or, or hindering the things. Right. Right. Um, um, so one of the things that Stephen King's talks about is, you know, reading as well, right. As an important act of writing actually. So, you know, do you, do you have a reading schedule or routine and, you know, what sort of stuff do you read? Is it similar to the stuff you write or are you just all over the board? Um, it is ultimately similar to the stuff I write, even though some of it is not. Um, I have, I, I do try to always be reading a new book. Um, I most recently read Where the Crawdads Sing, which was is this anticipation of the movie? Yeah, I was just like, I am going to want to see the movie because um, the trailer looked really hauntingly beautiful. And I thought, well, I should read the book. Um, one of those people. Um, actually, that's not true. I generally will just go skip to the movie. But um, it, it's been out forever and I avoided it because it was just like a Reese Witherspoon best, uh, you know, bestseller, club, blah, yeah. blah, blah, book club. And uh, I guess deep down, I'm jealous of those books. So I was like, forget that. But I finally caved and it was actually extremely good. It was very beautiful and haunting. Like I said, the, the trailer was haunting, but the book itself was, was really stunning for a lot of reasons. Um, and it was slightly a murder mystery, though that wasn't the meat of it. Um, and normally I would say I do love to read murder mysteries specifically thrillers where you're shocked at either the final reveal or like gone girl where you're shocked halfway through it's just you didn't see it coming um agatha christie said um in a murder mystery like the the who done it the person who did it 
has to be or should be both the least expected person and logically the only person who could have done it. So books that pull that off really impress me. Um, that's what I love to read. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of that too. Um, and I would love to like create something along those lines. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very difficult. So, you know, to have that sort of aspect of it. And to my surprise, where the crawdad sing actually actually does do that, um, which I didn't think it was going to be that kind of book, but it it did not disappoint. That's good. I have not read it, so I can't comment on. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a good read. It's a good read. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. I'm a for me the biggest problem is I'm a, I'm terribly slow at reading, mm. and I don't love audio books. I think it's. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, but I almost, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a cheat. So I try not to do it. I had, I felt like it was a cheat for a really long time until I had this perspective. It just came to me. I just had this thought like um, reading with your eyes is a luxury that not everyone is going to have. Some people don't have that um, eyesight people don't have the ability to see that's something very lucky that we were born with um and so I do like to take advantage of that when I can but it also made me completely stop thinking about it as cheating like would I consider a blind person cheating by listening to an audiobook no not at all that might be controversial as an opinion but on the other hand unrelated I don't love listening to audiobooks because more than half the time they're not read well and that's just a different issue yeah that could be a problem for me i guess switching it up a little bit in terms of perspective i guess it's um because when i write uh obviously you're looking at a page and you're seeing the words and so i guess i want to have that intimacy if you will with the book so i can like absorb both the story but also subconsciously maybe learn like sentence structure and how words are spelled and put them in mind vocabulary and stuff like that. Whereas if you just hear it and I don't know, uh, I'm trying to, it's weird. Like sometimes if I get quote unquote writer's block, I'll just start doing speech to text. Yeah. Oh, knowing yeah. that it's going to be terrible, but at least like, it's just a bunch of words that I can then, you know, look at and then revise. Yes, definitely. Um, so I guess, uh, I'm I think that's totally valid. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my big trick to everybody. Like just start with that. And most chances are you're probably like only have like 20% of usable stuff, but at least like you can expand it, revise it. You have something like, yeah, that's something, you know, um, what are some, uh, I'm, I'm curious about your toolkit of writing tips and tricks. Um, so something you just said reminded me, um, like if I'm really stuck, I have a few books that are like my go-to books that I've read a million times, but I will just like take them, put them in a stack and just like read like the first five pages of them, of each of them um, for that inspiration, for that, like get to get, get the juices flowing in my brain, which sometimes they just are not. I'm like, I don't know what, what I'm trying to say or how I want to say it. Um, Weirdly, I don't I don't know if everyone would say this, but watching TV also really gets my creative like spark going. If it's what good kind TV. of TV? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I was going to say, because like if you're just like binge watching Friends for the 40th time versus. Oh, my like, God. First of all, like, how did you know that I do that, though? <laughs> like, <laughs> My husband had to cut me off recently because he was like, we can't watch Friends again. Like we've seen it maybe in the pandemic five times through. Um, it's just Friends- a comfort thing, you know, like it's <laughs> when you just want to like, I just want to feel like active but not do anything. Yeah. Friends uh, is, is very therapeutic, but it doesn't help me write for many reasons. One, it's a comedy and I don't write comedy. Um, But the shows like right now I'm rewatching breaking bad, which we did talk about at the party the other night Um, during the pandemic, I saw Sopranos for the first time and also game of Thrones for the first time. And um I watch when I first decided that I was going to write a courtroom drama, I started watching law and order and law and order SVU. And even though those can be extremely formulaic, like extremely, uh, that still, uh, that got me so like oriented in the world of fictional crime. Cause again, I'm, I can't, people always say like, law and order like well that's not going to teach you about real law that's fake and i'm like well good thing i'm writing also fictional law i'm not writing literal law so um that those help those really help so a combination of like really good acclaimed television and then like a little bit of just genre formulaic stuff can also really help yeah. And I mean, too, the as far as like a law and order goes, it's like, I mean, I don't know how many seasons, how many spinoffs of that show. It's like they're doing something right. It's been they, on the air for more than 20 years. Yeah. So um, for me, I always love playing with the conventions of just genre mm-hmm. and how how successful I am or not. You know, obviously, that's not up to me, um, but I love I do love when people say like, oh, I, I thought like, for example, if if it was like what appeared to be a standard like rom-com, like, oh, I thought they were going to get together in the end. And I'm like, oh, bless your heart. Yeah, 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 they yeah were never... not this time. Yeah. yeah, you know, that's not real life. Sorry to break it to you. That's, yeah, I, I like that too a lot. Um, there's like all these different, um, in terms of all the stories in the world, you can graph them of like, how you know some just go like all the way up with a little down at the end some are very wavy throughout um but i do love the ones that surprise you with a with a downward turn maybe not even like a devastating downward turn but just like a real life like the climax is not this like wild exciting heart racing thing it's just like this is what happens most of the time I mean, for me, like my favorite ending, I would say is more like an ironic one where like what you like, it's as you said, it's inevitable, but still surprising. So, you know, there's a good side to it that you didn't expect. But at the same time, what you wanted to have happen didn't happen. So and to me, that shows the duality of life. It's like, you know, sometimes we get something, but at the same time, there's a negative associated with it, you know, right. and however it balances out. That's not really for us to know. So I right. like that. Um, right. Art that art that comes closer to mirroring real life. I try to. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, um, which it seems like your stuff 
kind of gravitates towards there. Like it doesn't seem like it's supernatural sci-fi superhero type stuff. Right. Um, is any of that other stuff for interest? Like I'm a big fan of magic realism, but again, mm. it's just a genre that like scares me. So I haven't like personally tackled it yet. So I'm just mm. wondering like, you know, is it just like, these are the stories you want to tell or like you would like to build to something else as well. I, in my like dreams, I would write dystopian future fiction um, where things have gone terribly wrong and we're living in a dystopian future, which, you know, is, is possibly approaching. Um, Isn't that the hard thing? Like I remember like with <laughs> South Park, you know, the creators were like, how do we like satirize something that is already just insane to like, we can't top what the hell's happening right South now. South Park got to the point where they were like, we can't really do this because anything we could come up with, it, it wouldn't be as crazy as what's going on right now in the government. Yeah, like um, it's, it's just absolutely insane. Like, you know, and I know like it makes it very I difficult. Know. <laughs> I mean, and not so, only that, but but also sorry to cut you off. No, from, okay. from, for me, from a storytelling perspective, like, you know, let's just say you took the last year of politics, right? It's like you could write it down in a story and you get that note from like a publisher or whoever of like, none of this is believable. This isn't motivated. Like everyone's just doing random, like. No, 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 no. You like, why the would they attack the Capitol on January 6th? That, yeah. Because of some conspiracy that they think is going on? That doesn't make sense. Hillary Clinton has a sex ring of, of kids in a basement of a pizza parlor. What are you talking about? Like, they would just yeah. be like, you're taking it too far. You're taking it too far. Yeah. And so that's why, like, moving forward, I never want the note of, like, this isn't believable. You know? Because it's like, oh, this could happen. Trust me. That's um what I'm I'm working on on my my newest novel. I was literally just saying that I was like I just want to find a publisher that goes along with the absurdity of this and does not say oh this is un- this isn't believable because it's the surreal is happening all the time yeah. at this point. Are you a Neil Gaiman fan? Because I love when he writes farce in that way where he does yes. take the absurd, like, for example, like Good Omens. I'm not sure yes. if you've read. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just he just manages to put it under a microscope and like, you know, they're mixing up the, the Antichrist at the hospital. Like, it's yeah. just brilliant. I love it. It is brilliant. Um, and, you know, somewhat inspired, I think, by Kafka's Metamorphosis. Um and that absurdist genre, which I really admire, but where he's not talking about it literally, he's kind of coming up with this parable to um, describe the absurdity of life. And Neil Gaiman does that really well in in fuller form, not in you know not in short story form. Although I'm sure he has short stories, but um, I love his ability to use satirical parables to comment on the current state of the world. And even like, even, even metamorphosis, like read in today's context, like the most absurd part of that is the dude just woke up as um, I forget, like, I'll just say a cockroach. I forget exactly. Um, I think it's some, some kind of beetle, but I don't know. Yeah. And and he just wakes up and his first thought is I can't be late for work essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, 
that is so true. Like we just with at least within American society that that no matter what happens to us, that's literally our first thought of like, oh, I, I can't be late or, you know, I have work to related. be productive. Yeah. My value yeah. is 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 interlaced with my productivity. Yeah. And so the fact that he's literally an ant, uh, uh, an insect yes. um, is beside the point because he's got to go to right. work. He's got to get to work. Um, yeah, I think. I think that's brilliant. Um, total, total side tangent, not about writing, but I'm curious. Uh, do you watch any Terry Gilliam, like Time Bandits, for example? Um, no, I don't. Um, not that I know of. I don't watch Fair Time enough. Bandits. I, it's um, a movie. So it's um, it's about. I didn't watch Time Bandits. It's all good. It's about um, these. Uh, uh, what? I don't even know. I mean, in the movie, they're referred to as midgets. So pardon the phrasing, but okay. there's like a bunch of midgets that worked for the Supreme being, AKA God, and they stole his plans. And now they're essentially going through time and, and stealing stuff from time. That's hence why it's called time bandits. Um, but another it's, one of those, like just absolutely farcical, absurd. Right. Over the top. Uh, I actually love that. That sounds like a great premise. I, I, I just looked him up briefly. I have seen fear and loathing in Las Vegas, which it seems like he was involved in but besides that uh i don't think i ha- i mean the i is he is he really the monty python guy holy grail and uh he was he was involved he wasn't um uh yeah he he did he he was certainly involved in all of those whether he directed all he didn't direct that them i don't think like not every single one he directed essentially okay but when he, he started directing stuff it it got very interesting yeah um what else um what what else do you draw inspiration from to sort of tie it more back to writing and get back back on track which i know is my fault <laughs> no 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 that's fine um i do not have a very um broad or eclectic taste in music this is like something i shouldn't go around advertising but i i'm not very interesting when it comes to my music taste <laughs> um do you, do you listen to music while you write or just complete silence silence when i write um but i do draw inspiration from a few select singer songwriters in the past few years it has been really just lana del rey and taylor swift um and if you don't know the leaps and bounds taylor swift has accomplished over more recent times you should check it out it is real music it is not what she used to be um however i'm actually t- i'm i did kind of burn out on her and i'm back to lana del rey who i think is is a living poet of our time incredible singer songwriter i've been a very big fan of hers and draw on her for inspiration um all the time uh in terms of her her bravery in terms of talking about things that are hard in her life, um, dark things, exploring darkness, uh, and storytelling, the ability to tell story within, within music can actually kind of help shape the type of writing that I do. Gotcha. That's cool. Um, yeah. Um, I want to say something cool like travel inspires me, but I haven't been anywhere in uh, who the, has in the pandemic <laughs> in a while. 
yeah. I, I go to the the desert joshua tree desert a lot but past that not not all that much traveling well it's interesting um so i interviewed erica roebuck who's the author of um the invisible woman um she also did hemingway's girl and um a bunch oh, of yes. other yeah um phenomenal person but you know she's got a couple of kids and she lives in um I believe either Maryland or Virginia. Um, but either way, she can't really travel. And, and the invisible woman was set in uh, France. And so she would do like Google earth and like all this wow. stuff and, and watch vlogs. And so, you know what? I think what a day and age we live in where that's not, I, I know it's not like the, the real, real thing, but certainly. Um, that is you, an option and that's crazy. Yeah. We're so lucky. We, yeah. Cause when you read the actual book, like, um, you know, when we talked about the details of uh, being a character and having it be plot driven, she's very familiar with, you know, that that time period and use it to her advantage. And the irony is she's never been. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing what is possible. I need yeah. to keep that in mind when I when I think of my limitations um, with writing science fiction or future futuristic fiction, like you can you can do research like you can see what scientists are working on and elaborate from that and extrapolate from that you can google anything um and there's probably some version of it being worked out in real time yeah no i mean one of one of my favorite things was when i was doing like a sci-fi novel i reached out to a usc professor in like the tech wing of and you know i he was gracious enough to like talk with me for an hour and wow. like the stuff that he was talking, I like blew my mind. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, cause yeah. I was coming up with stuff in my mind and he's like, Oh, we're, we already have that. We're, we're yeah. Yeah. You know, um, which is, go ahead. I just remember when I was a kid, like begging my parents to tell me if they had any information on if one day we'd be able to talk to our friends and see them on a screen at the same time. And they were like, I don't know. Like I was like six and they were like, I don't know. We might have that technology one day. And like, little did we know they, they probably had it already in 1996. Like they probably, if, if in order for it to come out like 10 years later, that existed already, they were working on that in a major way. I mean, what am I talking about? Of course they did. Of course they had it. Um, so it's like, who knows what they, they could have flying cars all ready to go. And any day now we will, we'll be flying in those cars. Well, which kind of raises an interesting point about research. Right. And I want to talk about that because like, we, and cause it's to me, a writer's role really is in that sense, just to be an observer of life. Right. Whenever people try to be didactic with their work and try to say something, it comes off that way. Right. And, and for me, when you talk about like, video screens um, or FaceTime, whatever, I'm reminded of like David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. And he wrote in there like a, basically a whole chapter of just someone getting like completely like face and makeup ready because they were so anxious about a video call. Right. 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 And, and nowadays, like, you know, when you consider social media and stuff like that, like it's true, like he just saw how human beings acted. And if that was a technology available to them when he lived, like he just foresaw how they would act. Right. Um, but it's because right. of that research aspect of it. So um, I know there's not really a question there, but I guess if there is, how do you approach research? And um, yeah, the power of research. Um, 
the the biggest thing I had to research, I I touched on briefly, which was um, courtroom dynamics and the law. And so I read, um, yes, a lot of fiction, but I also read some nonfiction. And um, luckily, I have an ex-boyfriend who is still a friend who is a criminal defense attorney. So he was nice enough to like, let me ask him a billion questions and write them down and ask him uh, the same questions when I forgot the answers. Um, So that really helped. And then the other main thing I've really had to research that I know nothing about is celebrity because the, um, the murder victim in, in my novels is a celebrity is a like huge sensation. So I did have to do research there as well, um, asking people who I know who have had the experience reading uh, Jessica Simpson's autobiography, which was quite the trip. Um, and now I'm reading Liz Fair's autobiography. She's less of a like superstar, but she is still like a rock star who I admire. Um, and on that in that category, I just watched a lot of, um, their documentaries, you know, pop stars love their documentaries, um, being made about them. So, so those are like the law and celebrity are really the two things I've had to be like, what the hell? I know nothing about these, these worlds. Um, so yeah, that's, those are, that's what I've done. That's so fascinating that, that celebrity is like, just because you, you know, you live in LA and stuff like that. So like just the sheer proxy of it all, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I forget that it's not like that other places. It's just the celebrities are, are here. You know, they live among us. Yes. They are real people. Sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. (laughs) A lot of times they end up being like really just, unless like fame has, has changed their brains, which you see also, but a lot of the time they are like remarkably just regular. <laughs> it's shocking. It's, it's always shocking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, before we wrap out any, um, final, uh, you know, I, I always try to impart as much information in terms of takeaway for, for, uh, anyone listening. So anything, uh, could be of inspiration or actual tips. Yeah. In terms of inspiration, I just, I truly, it's corny at this point, but I truly believe um, it, things boil down in the creative world or in other worlds boil down to, if you don't think you can do it, you can't do it. And if you think you can do it, you can do it. And if you're not a naturally born talented writer, you still have the ability to grow that. And I, Um, If you're at all interested in writing, I invite you to explore that within you because the belief that you can do it, it's like just that belief can lead you one step at a time to becoming a writer. Awesome. And uh, people want to, you know, check out your books, see future writing, things of that nature, support you. What's the best way for that? You can go to Amazon. Um, all my books are on Amazon. If you could go to your local bookstore, that would be even better. Um, 
Amazon maybe as the last resort, but go to your bookstore, go to Barnes and Noble, help those businesses that Amazon is crushing. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at I'm not Zara Lisbon. And that's about it. Awesome. Well, I'll link to all that stuff in the description as well. So that way it's a piece of access for you, dear listener. Um, anyway, thanks so much. Thank you.